Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. We're talking about the relationships of our life, the power of our friendships, all the relationships. The important thing to remember when it comes to relationships or any realm of life is that you and I need something from God. We need, I'm going to write the word on the board, we need wisdom. Wisdom is something that is desperately needed by us as human beings to function as God designed us to function. And God is the all-wise God, and He desires to give wisdom to us. And you can't function well without wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Let me give you a basic definition, a simple definition for wisdom. I'm going to ask you to read it together with me, and let's read it aloud and loudly together. Here we go. A set of guiding truths about life that bring the best results to your life. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is a set of guiding, notice this, truths, things that are really true, and they guide you, guiding truths about life, how you're to live your life, that bring the best results to your life. God wants you to experience the best results for your life. He wants you to have the best life possible. That doesn't mean that everything's going to always be perfect in your life or that everything's going to always go well. But even in the midst of difficulties in life, God wants to bring out the best and bring out his purposes. Now, when it comes to relationships, we need wisdom as well. And God doesn't just indiscriminately give wisdom. You have to seek it. You have to go after it. Proverbs chapter 4 reminds us of this, as well as many other places in Scripture. Notice Proverbs 24, verses 20 through 22. My son, my daughter as well. Notice this, pay attention to what I say. You've got to seek it. You've got to look for wisdom. Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. When you pursue wisdom and you gain wisdom, it gives you fresh life. It gives you real meaning in life, and it allows you to experience healthy things in your life, including healthy relationships. So what I want to do today is I'm going to talk to you about some principles. Actually, what I hope to do today is to inspire you to gain wisdom in the relationships of your life. This is going to sort of be a beginning point for what we'll talk about weekend after next as we get into some specific skills that are required for our relationships. But five things today that I hope will inspire you. Let's take a look at some wisdom for relationships. Number one, we must understand that the quality of our relationships will determine the quality of our life. If you want to improve the quality of your life, you work on your relationships, because the quality of your relationships will always determine the quality of your life. Absolutely nothing contributes to your life quality more than your relationships. Certainly your relationship with God contributes to the quality of your life, as well as your relationships with other people. In fact, I am learning and have learned through the years, and I'm sure that many of you could say it's true for you as well, that you can get through just about anything in life if you have the right people around you. You can get through all kind of stuff in life if you've got people that are supportive, they're there with you and walking with you on and in that journey. The Apostle Paul, this great apostle of the faith who gives us much of the New Testament, understand, understood the role of relationships and quality of life. His life quality was improved by relationships in his life. This great apostle valued people and he valued them greatly. I'm going to give you a story from Paul's life found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen to what he says. 
He describes a time in his own spiritual journey when he was involved in ministry. He says, for when we came into Macedonia, and Macedonia is the location of a little a city called Philippi. There's one of the books in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. So he says, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed. Key words here at every turn, conflicts on the outside, and what else? Fears where within. Let's stop there for a moment. So here's this great man of faith. He says, we're going through, we went through this difficult time in Macedonia. We had no rest in our bodies, no rest in our minds. We were being harassed everywhere we turn, conflict all around us. He's talking about the persecution he experienced for preaching the gospel. And this persecution, all this conflict created what for Paul? Fear for him. So here he's in this very difficult set of circumstances. But God, say that phrase with me, but God, who comforts the downcast, so he's describing himself as being downcast, comforted us, notice how, by the coming of Titus. This is an amazing passage to me, because this great apostle who knew God so well, loved God so deeply, had an amazing relationship with God. He describes a time in his life when he was going through extreme difficulty. He's in an emotional low point in his life. His inner resources are completely depleted. His emotional account was almost empty. Here he's at this point, and what he describes as being a turnaround moment happened when somebody showed up in his life by the coming of who? Titus, a person that God helped Paul by God comforted Paul by a person. The quality of Paul's life was improved by having the right person in his life. All of us are called to have a Titus or have Tituses in our life, and we're called to be a Titus to other people. Let me ask you a question for you to think about today as I think about it in my own life. When you show up in a person's life, do you bring comfort or do you bring discomfort? You know, some people, when you see them coming, you want to go the other way. Okay. I don't want to talk to them. Don't want to be around them. And other people, when you see them coming, you can't wait till they get there because they bring something of blessing to your life. And we need people like that in our lives. And we need to be those kind of people to other people. Why? Because God uses people like that to bring comfort and strength and improve the quality of of our lives. So the first thing that I hope will inspire you today to get more relationship wisdom in your life is to realize that the quality of your life improves on the basis of the quality of your relationships. Here's the second principle today. The quality of your relationships also determines the success of your life. Not just the quality of your life, but the success of your life. Now, I would submit to you today, and I think it's obviously very true that we would all agree with, all of us want to be successful. I've never found a person uh, who said, yeah, I just want to be a failure. I just hope my life is a, fail, is, is a miserable failure. No, nobody wants that. We all want to be successful. And to be successful in life, we often measure ourselves in all kinds of ways. Think about it for a moment. Does this provide success to a person's life? Some people think so. They think if I can just get a certain amount of money that I'm going to be deemed successful. For some people, it's the position they hold or a title they have or an academic accomplishment they will have in their life. And they attach success to all these external kinds of things. And we think if I just get that, I will be, quote, a successful person. 
But I will tell you that you can have all those things in your life and not truly be a success. For what profit is there in winning or being successful in all those areas if everyone dislikes you? What profit is it if you get to the highest pinnacles of life and you're there by yourself and you arrive to the highest mountain of success as the world would define it and there's nobody there with you. The biblical measure of real success is found in relationships. Certainly a relationship first with God. That's where success comes from. And then relationships with other people. Because when you get to the end of your life and if you're conscious when you're about to breathe your last breath, I promise you, you're not going to ask to see your checkbook one more time. Can I see my investments? Can I count my money just one more time? You're not going to ask to see your car once again. Or you're not going to ask to walk through your house. What you're going to want at that last moment in your life is you want people around you that you love and that love you. Why? Because relationships really define real success. So we have to change our perspective. And that's why if you want to be successful, the greatest place to seek success is not in money or position or or any of those things I've just described, but in the quality of your relationships. Paul again describes this for us. One of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. You've heard it, I'm sure, before. I've preached on it many times before. I'm going to take you back to this passage again today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But as we go through it, I'm going to highlight two key words today. And I'll give them to you. And then we'll look at it in just a moment. The two key words are if and but. Say them with me. If and but. I want you to notice those two words as we go through this passage today. What are the two words again? If and but. But here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul goes through a sequence of things in this particular case that related to, quote, spiritual success, spiritual accomplishments. And he describes, if you speak in the tongues of men, of angels, but you don't have love. If you give your body to be burned, but don't have love. Things that people would measure as a mark of success spiritually. And we can translate that to any mark of success. If I accomplish this, but I don't have love, I am nothing. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the most important quality in your life is the quality of love because love is not something that you experience alone. Love is experienced in relationship. You can't just experience love by yourself. If all you've fallen in love with is you, you've got a problem. Amen. Okay. If the only person you love is you, you need some help in your life. Amen. Okay. Because God didn't design us to just love ourselves. God designed us to love out of that secure relationship that we have with God, love other people also. So true success is about relationships, is about love. So can I ask you today, here's another question for you. How successful are you? You say, well, 
I've got a pretty good bank account, or I've got a nice house, I drive a nice car, I've got a great position at work. That's, that's wonderful, nothing wrong with any of that. But how about your relationships? How successful are you really in your life? Do you have really successful relationships? Are you experiencing love in the relationships of your life? Here's our third quality today, our third portion or expression of wisdom. The quality of your relationships determines the level of your what? Productivity. So we've gone through three, three things now so far. Improve the quality of life. You improve the quality of your relationships. Define success in life. You improve the quality of your relationships. And if you want to be more productive in your life, you have to improve your relationships. It all comes back to relationships. Now, productivity is a very vital part of all that we do. God created you to be productive. And the word productive means to add value or worth to your world. And God wants you to add value and add worth to your world. In fact, you're happiest when you're adding value. When you're not adding value, you're missing something. You know I'm not functioning as I need to. God designed you to produce something with your life, to actually be productive. And productivity and joy go together. You're more joyous or more happy when you are productive with your life. Jesus taught us this principle. He gave a story one time. It's called the parable of the talents. And he talked about a master who called three of his servants together and gave them some gifts. To one, he gave five talents or five bags of gold. To another, two. And to another, one. And he says, I'm going away. Do something with what I gave you. Be productive. I'm coming back to check up on you later on. And so after a long time, he came back. And please note what happens here. And you're going to see the connection between productivity and joy or happiness. And then we'll tie this into relationships in a moment. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have done what? Gained. I've been productive. I've gained five more. Now, notice what happens, what the master says. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now notice this. Come and share your master's what? Because you've been productive, now you step into another level of happiness. The happiest, some of the happiest people in the world are those who are doing something with their life. They're being productive with their life. They're not sitting back and wasting their talents or not investing in something that is adding value or worth to people around them. And so we see, according to Scripture, that productivity is related to happiness. One translation actually uses the word joy here. Enter into the joy of your master, the happiness of your master. So happiness, joy, linked to productivity. And if we want more happiness and joy, we must be more productive. So the question becomes, how do we become more productive? Well, there are lots of things we could talk about today. There's discipline and application of your work ethic and all those kind of things we could talk about that makes a person productive. But there's one thing that's often missed. You know what makes you most productive? The relationships of your life. Let me show you from the opposite example of this. When you're in a, when you're in a situation, a work environment where there's anger and jealousy and strife and contention and bitterness and bickering. How productive is that environment? Not very. If you work in an office that is filled with office politics 
and people kind of fighting with one another and talking behind everybody's back and struggling with each other and there's jealousy in the environment, you're not going to be as productive as you could possibly be. Why? Because productivity doesn't happen at its highest levels in those environments. You're most productive when your relationships are going well. When do you have your best day at work? When you leave the house with a good interaction with your spouse, right? Okay. If you have a big fight before you leave for work in the morning, you probably carry some of that with you into your job, right? And it's going to take you a couple of three hours in the morning to ever get going because you're still, you're still having a conversation in your head with that person back at your house, okay? You can't think about your work because there's a lot of things you wanted to say that you didn't get said before you left the house. And you're still dealing with all this kind of stuff going on in your mind. And finally, you get into the day about noon, you kind of get into your work. Why? Because you kind of had to work through the relationship stuff. Can I get an amen right there, okay? Some of you act like you've been there before, okay? You know what I'm talking about today, okay? But it happens in all realms of life. And so if you want to be productive... The smoother your relationships are, the more you invest in relationships, the more productivity will be a part of your life. The Bible teaches us this. It's not far into Scripture. It's right in the Bible. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good, what, return for their labor. They're more productive when we're in right relationship with each other. It's a very interesting story in Genesis chapter 11. Let me kind of give you a basis of the story, and then we'll look at a particular verse. It was a time in human history when people who were anti-God decided they wanted to build their own structure to worship. It was called the Tower of Babel. Okay. So they're going to build this great, ba- this great tower going up into the sky. Okay. And God looks down and says, we've got a problem here because if they do this, obviously they're going to exalt themselves. They're worshiping the wrong God. So I'm going to destroy this. I'm going to actually divide up the nation so they can't talk. They will never talk the same language any longer. They have different languages. And that's what we see happening with the fall of the Tower of Babel and all the languages that begin to be dispersed throughout humanity. And here's the reason for it. Notice what it says here in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. And the Negative example is a positive principle for us. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they had begun to do this then, read the rest with me, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God says, I've learned something. I see something in humanity that they're learning. They're learning that if they're unified, then there's nothing impossible for them. And here's the principle that when we're unified in our homes and unified in our work environments, we find that lots of things are far more possible than impossible in our life. We become productive. Improving your relationships will always improve the productivity of your life. Here's our fourth lesson out of five today. The quality of your relationships determines your usefulness to God. Why do you need to work on your relationships? Because they, working on your relationships, improving them, will make you more useful to God. Listen closely this morning. Every person in this room, those of you in our Frederick campus today, those who are watching online, anyone that will be watching this message anytime in the future, I want to tell you something today. You are born with a God-designed purpose, a God-designed destiny. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. When you were formed in your mother's womb, God gave you giftings. He gave you ability and he gave a destiny. He has a destiny for your life. We're gifted 
Every person, you're gifted by God to be a blessing to this world. In fact, I'm going to ask you to say something with me this morning. I don't do this regularly, but I would ask you to affirm this with me. I want you to say with me together, I am blessed by God. I am gifted by God to be a blessing to my world. Say it again. I am blessed by God. I am gifted by God to be a blessing to my world. God put you on this planet because there's a work for you to do that only you can do. Nobody else can do that work. Why? Because you're unique. There's something unique about you, and there's a way that God can use you that he can't use other people. And it's true for that person to your right and to your left and in front of you and behind you and all throughout this worship center. We're all unique gifts of God, are we not? And God made you for a purpose. He wants to use you to advance his kingdom. So he has something he wants to do in the world. And how does God get his work done in the world? He gets his work done in the world through people, all of us. We're used by God to accomplish God's work in the world. But oftentimes, here's the problem. We get, although we're called to be useful to God, we get sidetracked from our usefulness. Let's just go ahead and confess today. Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been sidetracked from God? Okay, a little bit. That's about most of you. The rest of you are perfect. I'm understanding here. You can put, raise your hand up. You guys can go ahead and dismiss yourself from the service if you'd like to do so. I've been sidetracked at times. Have you? God wanted to use me in a certain way, but I'm sidetracked, okay? I'm, not, I'm, I'm missing the mark here. I'm off the rails, we sometimes say, okay? And sometimes we get off the rails. We miss the mark. We get sidetracked from what God wants us to do. And there are lots of different ways we get sidetracked. It's not my purpose today to talk about all the different ways that we get sidetracked. But I will tell you one way you'll get sidetracked is when your relationships, your relationships are messed up. And that's why the devil likes to work on your relationships. The devil loves to get into a marriage and mess up a marriage. Why? Because if he can mess up a marriage, he can hinder your usefulness to God. That's why he wants to get involved in your friendships and mess them up. Because if he can mess up any relationship of your life, it's going to affect your usefulness to God. You will not be as confident, as capable, as willing to serve because you're focused on what you're dealing with and the pain of your own soul, the pain of your own relationships. The Apostle Paul, again, going back to his example, teaches this principle to us in the book of Philippians. We referred to Philippians a few moments ago. I want to bring you back to the book of Philippians just for a moment. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, there are four chapters. I would encourage you to read through the book. It takes maybe an hour at the most uh, to read if you're a slow reader. About an hour to read through the four chapters of the book. Okay? But in the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison. He's in Roman, a Roman prison. He's chained to guards. He describes it in that uh, first portion of his book. And he has a lot of time to think and a lot of time to pray. So he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he had founded. You can read about the founding of that church in Acts chapter 16. The moment that he actually enters into that city, he was thrown into jail. And out of that, the Philippian jailer becomes a follower of Jesus. And a revival begins to happen in that city. And so he loved that church dearly. So here he is in prison in Rome. And he's thinking about the church at Philippi. And so he writes a letter to them. And so he has a lot of time to think and a lot of time to reflect. And I want you to notice what Paul writes to them about his heart for them, for the church there. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Paul said, I just been, I've been thinking about you. 
And I know that, that you have encouragement because you're united with Christ and you have comfort that comes from His love to you. And you have this commonality of the Spirit among you and, and the tenderness and compassion of God. And then, but here's what could really make my joy more full as I'm here in prison. If I, got a, if I, if, if I receive news back from you that all of you are living in a like-minded state, that is unity, there's harmony in your relationships. Then he says this, having the same love, being not divided, but being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Then notice what he says. In your, in your what? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, you know, if I could just get some news back that you guys are, are walking in unity and walking in harmony and there's no division and you're working on your relationships one with another, that would make my joy complete. I would love to hear that's what's going on in your life. Why? Because that's the heart of God for you and me. And he continues that letter. That's in chapter 2, but he continues that letter as he gets to chapter 4 and he brings to our attention two particular women in the church who were having a struggle doing the very thing he just described here. And let's go to chapter 4 and see what he writes. Everybody with me so far here? You're following the story, okay? So he gets, he's now wrapping up this, this little letter, four chapters, and he gets to the fourth chapter and he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same what did he say earlier that he wanted to hear about the church? That they were of the same mind. And he says, I'm pleading now with Yodi and I plead. That, that word plead is a very strong case. It's a, it's, a, it's a legal kind of term, pleading a case. I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind. Get on the same page with, with each other. Deal with your division. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, talking to the pastor of the church there, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says it was a time that Euodia and Syntyche, they were really useful to God. They were contending with me for the gospel. They were helping in the work of the kingdom, but they've gotten sidetracked. And the thing that sidetracked them was the fact that something got between them. There's something in that relationship that needs to be fixed. And I will tell you today that the devil loves to get into relationships in our life. That's why we need to guard our relationships carefully and guard them for the sake of unity and harmony and removing contention and strife and unforgiveness and all those things that would get in our heart and separate us from other people. Why? Because the devil loves to do that because he renders us less useful for the sake of God's kingdom. Let's go to our last point together. Fifth point. Read it with me. Relationship skills are practical expressions of what? Look, now we're kind of turning a corner here because I want to talk in the next several weeks after Nick is here next week about this relationship skill. We're going to actually look at some skills that go along with the relationships. But what I want you to see today, hopefully inspiring you today, that relationships are simply practical expressions of love. What God wants of us as believers in Christ is to learn how to love other people. This is what a relationship is all about. How do I express love to someone? How do I give and receive love? 
And the entire New Testament makes clear that this is the objective of our relationship with God. If, but, if I do all these things, but I do not have love, Remember, we walked through all those things, so this is the objective. This is over and over in Scripture. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 13. But by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Stop there for a moment. Do you want people to know that you're a follower of Jesus? Do you? Okay. How will people know that you're a follower of Jesus? He gives us the answer. By this, everyone will know that you're you're my disciples, my followers, if you quote lots of scripture, if you go to lots of Bible studies, if you go to church every weekend, nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's not the objective. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So this is the mark of real maturity in Christ. This is the mark of spiritual life in us, not how much Bible we know, and you need to know all the Bible you can, you can, you can absorb. It's, it's valuable to know the truth. The truth sets us free. But it leads to something. It leads to loving one another. John the Apostle writes about this in 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the... It's not a new message. I'm preaching the same message that came with Jesus. That when he arrived, you heard it from him from the very beginning. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should do what? Love one another. Notice that word should. I'll come back to it in just a minute. There again, you see the word love. First John chapter four, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one. We had a should. Now we have an ought. Okay. Let's go to the next passage. First John four 21. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Notice there's a should, an ought, and a must. Say it with me. A should, an ought, and a must. And all of them are connected to what? Love. We should love one another. We ought to love one another. And we must love one another. What I want you to see, this emphasizes the command here or the mandate that we're given. And a mandate means it's not optional. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, loving is not optional. You know, say, I like all that Christian stuff. I just don't want to love anybody. Okay? Okay. Just don't make me do that. Okay? No, it's not a matter. You can't, you can't pick and choose. You have to say, you know what? If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I've got to learn to fulfill this portion of the command that he gave me because a disciple of Jesus, this is how we're known. We're known not by all the things we can espouse, but we're known by how we love one another. Do we love one one another. Now, the key word here in all these passages is the word love, and that's the word agape, and I'm not going to take time to talk about this. I've talked about this before. I'm sure I'll talk about it again in the future, but this is the love, the the God kind of love. It's not human love, which means this. This kind of love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Because if we, were, if we had to feel love for everyone, it would be impossible for us to fulfill that, right? Correct? You're not going to always feel love for someone, so it's not a matter of whether you feel. Now, hopefully you grow to feel love for people, but real love is not based upon a feeling. And this is where the world has it wrong. The world defines love as a feeling. That's why people, I fell in love. 
Well, if you fail in love, you can fall out of love, okay? You don't fall into love, okay? You might fall into a feeling, a romantic feeling. You might fall into a chemistry. You might fall into some hormones, okay? You may fall into insanity for a little bit, okay, okay? But that's not really love. Love is not measured by that, okay? Because that feeling is going to go away. I promise you, dear ones. By the way, today is my wife and I, it's our 46th anniversary today, okay? Yeah, I'm not saying that for that purpose. But I'm telling you, there are times she didn't like me. She may not like me right now. I don't know, okay? And there are times, rare times, that I haven't liked her, okay? Because it's not a matter of liking each other. It's a matter of the fact we made a commitment 46 years ago. And the commitment was till death do us part. And love, the, the experiences of life happen like your emotions go like this. Okay? All over the place, okay? So love isn't a feeling. This is important to understand because if you build your life, I don't feel love anymore. Well, welcome to the human race, okay? It's about time you woke up and realized it's not, not a feeling, okay? So love is far more than that. So what is love? Let me see if I can define love. But that's an interesting picture right there, isn't it? Somebody saw that they have no idea what I'm trying to communicate with you. Okay? Here's what love is. Love is attitudes and actions. That's what love is. Amen? Love is how you think about somebody. It's an attitude, okay? Love, I'm going to change my attitude toward people. And not let judgment and prejudice and all those things that get in the way of interacting with people. I'm not going to let that kind of stuff inside. Maybe I'm going to belong inside a believer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. All that garbage of the world and divisions and strife and contentions and all those things that the world tries to put. I'm not going to let that kind of stuff inside of me. Why? Because I want to think the right. I want to have the mind of Christ as I relate to people. Okay? So it's my attitudes and my actions. It's what I do. You can act in a loving way even when you don't feel loving to someone. You can act in a loving way. So love is an action. Love is, love is an attitude. Love, number two, is skills we learn in practice. And we're going to talk about these skills because you don't come into the world with these skills. You're not born capable of loving. You know why? Because you're born into the world as, as, as am I, a sinner, okay? And as a sinner, where I is most important to me, okay? I've told you before, S-I-N. That's what sin is. I'm in the center of my life, okay? And so you don't know how to love because we have sin in us. And so we have to not only receive forgiveness in Christ and a new birth, we have to learn to walk in holiness and walk in a new way of living. And so sin drives us away, but love draws us together. It's a skill that you learn over time and you learn it and you practice it. That's what a skill is. A skill is an acquired thing. It's something that you actually develop in your life. So it's key to inquire it. And that's the problem. A lot of people want to love, but they haven't acquired the skills to love. Just like any profession, you have to acquire the skills to practice a profession. The same is true when it comes to love. You have to acquire skills. I'm going to break down these skills as we get further into the series. And we learn them and we practice them. Sometimes we get them right, sometimes we don't. We learn from our mistakes. And then what else is love? Love is something we are to be and to do. I've already talked about the doing. I want to talk about the being just for a moment. Love is not just something you are to do. It's something you are to be. You are to actually 
become a loving person so that love is who you are. Why? Because what you and I are pursuing is we're pursuing godliness. We want to become more godly, right? And who and what is God? God is, what is God? God doesn't just do loving things. God does loving things because he is. He can only love because that's what he is. And so as we are conformed to the image of Jesus and grow in our relationship with Christ, that's who and what we become. We actually become loving. We don't just do loving things and kind of sort of force ourselves to do things, but we become more like God so that love is the essence of who we are, so that when anyone interacts with us, they're interacting with the love of God through us because it is who we are and who we are becoming. So it's not just a matter of something that you do. It's also a matter of something that you become, something that you are. So let's review very quickly today. My goal today has been to simply inspire you to say, you know what, I want more relationship wisdom. Anybody a little more inspired today? Why do we need this? Because you improve the quality of your relationships. You improve the quality of your life. You improve the quality of your relationships. You improve the level of your success. You improve the quality of your relationships. You improve the productivity of your life. You improve the quality of your relationships. And you increase your usefulness to God. And it's something that you and I can do. Because these are skills that we can learn. Empowered by the Holy Spirit at work within us. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray today? Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have today to study. We're thankful that you're speaking to us about our relationships. We pray that we become far more than just information that we gather in our head, but let it begin to be transformational in the way we live our lives. Seal this word in our hearts, we pray, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. 
and you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.